Welcome to X-Rated Movies. This is a podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. I'm the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. Well, Ryan, we've had a busy recording schedule lately. Oh my god. January is a very busy month for me, so we had to record way in advance. So this might not be as topical as uh, we'd like it to be, but... I saw a movie last week that I really, really, really need to talk about, even though you haven't seen it. Oh, my God. I saw the new Lars von Trier movie this week. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, it's called Jack. The House the Jack Built. The House the Jack Built, and it's about a serial murderer. Uh Uh-huh. That's all I know. Also, Uma Thurman gets beat up. Yeah. Wrench yeah. to the face or, or carjack to the face. I'm just going to guess. Yeah, now she gets her like skull crushed in. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite like antichrist levels of horribleness, but it comes pretty close. Oh my, okay, yeah. Like it's less strange forms of bodily violence and more just straightforward forms of violence. <sighs> uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? what? I saw the director's cut, which only had a one-night showing. They're going to go around with an R-rated version of the movie that gets like an actual theatrical release. Question real fast. How long was the director's cut? Two hours, 45 minutes. Woo! Flew by. Uh, One thing that I thought was interesting is that this is the first movie not starring a woman since... I don't know, Europa or something? Something before Breaking the Waves in 96. Yeah, holy shit. 20 years of making movies, and they've all starred women. What about that, uh, the five... uh... Obstructions? Yeah. Documentary. Doesn't really count. Okay. So it starts out with like a video clip of Matt Dillon introducing the movie, who stars as Jack. And he's like, you know, while watching it, I just encourage you to like do what you feel. If you feel like laughing, I think you should. If you feel like screaming, I think you should. Just try and like make it through the whole thing. And then there was a clip of Lars von Trier introducing the movie, and he was talking about how you know he's proud of it and that you shouldn't judge it just from after walking out of the movie. Take a few days to let it digest and like sit with it, think about it, ruminate on it. Uh, and then he ends it and goes, and remember, never again Trump. <laughs> and then the movie started. Huh. I don't think I've ever seen a movie where the lead actor and the director were like, now, l- listen up. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's a story in, like, they don't call them chapters, they call them, like, incidents. And the first two are pretty funny. So I think it was Elaine May, and I think we talked about this when we were talking about Tootsie. Because she did some, like, ghostwriting on that. Oh, right. Where it was, like, drama is, like, a person, like, takes a gun and shoots themselves. And comedy is, like, a person takes a gun and, like, tries to shoot themselves and realizes that there's no bullets in it. And, like, has to find the bullets and he doesn't have any. So he has to, like, go to the gun store and, like, buy bullets. But, like, they don't feel right. And, like, that's comedy. And, like, that's almost, like, a note-for-note segment in the movie. (laughs) Except instead of him killing himself, he's trying to kill a variety of people with bullets. Okay. And guns. But... The first two murders, the first two incidences are pretty funny. And then the third one comes along and you can just see that he like lost the audience. <laughs> like 
people were walking out of the theater. Wow. And I don't necessarily blame him. Like, he crosses that line. Like, the third incident has, like, cruelty to animals in it. It's got. That usually makes you check out of a movie. I waited to the end of the movie. No animals were harmed in the making of it. And on the Wikipedia page for the movie, PETA gives this movie its stamp of approval. Okay. But, like, the little part in there with animal cruelty, I was like, oh, God, like, this is sticking with me to the end of the credits. <laughs> it's definitely not a movie for everyone. But, yeah, though, in that third incident, it's like people were actively leaving the theater. And, like, it felt like the temperature got hotter in the theater <laughs> during it. A lot of shifting in seats, maybe, while that was going on. And, I mean, there's infanticide in the third incident. And, oh, well, babies. <laughs> well, I guess it's pediocide. Okay. Because they were, they, they were kids, but, like, yeah, I, uh, I mean, spoiler alert, like, a kid gets shot in the face, and, like, you see it. Like, <sighs> it, you see it from, like, through, like, the barrel, like, the lens of, like, a sniper rifle. Yeah, that does sound hard. Yeah, and then what he does with the corpses is even worse. And it's it was just like, holy shit. Like, you could see that the audience was, like, checking out at that point. But all that being said, highly recommended. But, I like, I've been waiting to talk about this movie with someone. Uh, I watched it with our good friend Devin, who is here for uh, Above the Law. And I don't think he liked the movie. <laughs> It's a hard one to like. I don't think anyone can like this movie in a traditional sense. What did you get out of your experience of watching it? It was very arty. There's sort of an internal monologue going on throughout the whole thing that sort of narrates the movie. The titular character, Jack, sort of views murder as art and does things like he takes pictures of the dead bodies and the way that he performs these murders it's not like the same type of murder every time he doesn't have like a you know set pattern like that do you feel like you learned anything or is it uh very much just shock value no because i think that's a question a lot of people are going to be wondering is like is this a just shocking movie or is there something to gain from this shock factor there is something to gain because it kind of turns in to a movie that is almost about Lars von Trier himself because the internal monologue that he's having at some point he's saying like oh you're just murdering women in all these things like all these stories that you're telling is just about killing women is that all that you have and he's like well it's not all that I have it's just all that I've chosen to tell right now like there's plenty of stories that I have that involve men but then it, it also shows clips from a bunch of his movies. Okay. And at some point, it takes this departure from what we've like had. It's like five incidences in an epilogue. And it departs so radically that it's almost like a travel through his body of work. He really took a risk, I feel, here. Because the movie changes so tonally that like he's really just like sticking his finger in the eyes of critics almost like he's asking you to hate the movie and if you do that he's winning almost and it's like i didn't walking out of the theater i was like oh i don't know how i feel about that epilogue 
But as more time goes by and I see the movie as a whole instead of just like five instances, it really has sort of like come together and I like understand it better. But I would really recommend it. It was a very thought-provoking movie and like it, it was not only just like a lot of shock, but it also like makes you think about like art as a creation and how personal it is to the artist. You heard it here first, folks. Matt full-throatedly endorses The House That Jack Built. A two-hour, 45-minute movie about a serial killer. Yeah. That movie is officially like on my list. Like you will see that in the next hundred episodes. Okay. Well, great. Speaking of the next hundred episodes. Yeah. You want to talk about episode 102? I do. Well, as I explained last week, it's gloves off. Collar undone. Tie off. No more walking on eggshells. No more sugarcoating. You and I full throated adversaries for a little while i'm picking movies for the entirety of the season that you are just flat out wrong about sir oh father you're so i totally respect your opinion you know we don't do a hundred movies where we largely agree (laughs) for nothing but you know i've just gotten tired of uh, us getting along i want a little animosity a little blood in the water i'm game I think we need to set up a few rules before the season because I'm coming in defensive. Okay. And I think the way that each of these needs to start is you need to make a case for the movie because otherwise I'm coming in as the negative. I'm coming in as like, I need to defend my opinion. I think you need to defend your opinion that I'm wrong. So I would love it if you laid out your case first before I presented my feelings on it. Okay. So today's movie is... A Single Man. Tom Ford, fashion designer, directed this. One of two movies he's directed. The other is uh, Sad Lady Reads a Book, colon, The Movie. Listeners can't see me biting my tongue until blood slowly seeps out. Wait, did you like nocturnal animals? Dribbles down my throat. I did. God, and I'm all out of throwing wine. (laughs) Single Man is the gay movie of our generation, and even your generation. A, it's beautifully shot, gorgeous music, fantastic performance, and a story that I think that anybody who's ever been in the closet can relate to. Okay. Do I need to say more? Well, my Is that not a good enough case? Look, you've laid out- It looks good. It sounds good. It's got great performances, and it has a relatable story. What more do you want? You've laid out all the reasons that I should like this movie, and those were all the reasons that I was like, I can't wait to see this movie at the theater. Mm -hmm. My question to you, before we dig into it, is what does this movie make you feel? Well, it's a- complex buffet of emotions but what when the movie's done those credits are rolling that wonderful score that you mentioned earlier is playing what is the feeling 
that you're left with? Well, it's a little complex, and I don't I don't want to necessarily jump to the end right away, but I do have feelings on it. Okay. I'll say this without giving too much away. It's happy and sad. Mm-hmm. I feel that the hero gets what he wants, but without without real tragedy, like w- without you know uh, Shakespearean style tragedy, like classic drama style tragedy. Okay, we'll say that. Like he's able to both get what he wants without having to compromise his own values. We'll say that. Okay, but like bullshit. Outside analytics aside, what do you feel well, at I, the end? I'm sad. I'm not like sad, like life is meaningless sad. Okay. I'm sentimental. Okay. That's a great answer. Okay. <laughs> That's all you have to say. Okay. Listen, intellectually, I know this is a good movie. I can see all the arguments that people make for it being a good movie, and I absolutely understand them. I don't think I'm on the record as ever saying this is a bad movie. My feelings on it are that I don't like this movie. And that has everything to do with subjectivity and taste and the way this movie makes me feel. You're just qualifying your own petty excuses. Yeah. All my reasons for not liking this movie are emotional and irrational. And I am 100% willing to embrace that. Because I felt the exact same way I felt the first time I saw this. I'm not letting you finish sentences anymore. I'm breaking in (laughs) when I got something to say. I don't like this movie. (laughs) All right. Here we go. We're breaking it down. All right. First part. What is your problem with the score of this movie? Nothing. I I (laughs) Love it. It's great. Next. (laughs) Uh... I I can't pronounce his name. Abel K- Kabowowski or, or something. No, it's an excellent score. He also did the score to Nocturnal Animals. And as far as I know, like I think the only two movies that he's done that he's scored that I've seen are these two. Okay. But just really gorgeous, rich, romantic. I used to play it all the time when I managed a record store. I played in overhead all the time. It's excellent. If like even just like you listen to the closing credits, it matches the mood of the movie. It's sad, but um yearning i don't know it's it is a good soundtrack i agree question two colin firth hit it or quit it uh hit it okay you would yes (laughs) he's beautiful and he's a great actor this performance is excellent (laughs) i'm not arguing with either of those first two points there's a joke in 30 rock where uh liz is trying to adopt a baby and she says the adoption agent's coming by today. Just be yourself, Lemon. I'm going to be better than myself. My apartment is spotless. I have practiced all my answers. I got rid of all my Colin Firth movies in case they consider them erotica. That man can wear a sweater. I mean, you've seen him uh, coming out of the lake in the uh, BBC version where he's Mr. Darcy of... Uh, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, if you're gay, you've seen it. I almost feel like in uh, Casino Royale with Daniel Craig when he comes out of the water. I was like... <laughs> Are they just kind of purposely copying when Colin Firth yeah. comes out of the water in Pride and Prejudice? Just with less clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, hit it. Colin Firth has a weird thing for me where there's moments where I think he's hideous and then moments where I think he's the handsomest man alive. I don't know how he swings between those two extremes, but there's, yeah, definitely moments where it was just... And there's lots of close-ups of his face in this movie. Okay. Uh, cinematography. What's your problem with it? God, gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, it is bam, beautiful. Also, the production design, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out. It's okay. like top notch. I mean, 
it look everything looks like a photo shoot it really does and the vogue the color correction every time i watch this movie the the color correction which is very heavy-handed and i mean purposely so stands out more and more to me the way that you know when he looks at someone who's intriguing to him or interesting to him they're like in vibrant lush orange ready tones yeah and then it'll cut back to him that's in sort of grayer tones almost colder tones yeah the color saturation element to this movie is both integral and an issue for me okay um it tells like his inner monologue like it shows when certain things make him feel life again feel excited again and when those things are appear then like world gets more saturated mm-hmm. in like in color and so like that's sort of like a metaphor for when you're depressed like if something is giving you life quote unquote like the world seems more vibrant it doesn't seem gray like when you're depressed so. and see i figured for sure you'd have a problem with like the color correction because it's so obvious i feel that I, it's I almost do. like <laughs> i could see an argument for it taking you out of the movie exactly that is one of my arguments like it doesn't with me except there's like one scene when uh nicholas holt's character whose name i can't remember sort of jumps in and like the color changes really rapidly other than that it works for me and like i believe it i'm on board with this saturation effect it's a directorial choice it's an artistic choice and i don't fault it for being a, a creative element and I, you don't see movies do this very often so in that i applaud it um it does kind of take me out of the movie it seems very like and now he's happy mm-hmm. so that is a, a thing I mean, in the it, con it, column but that's sh- not my biggest issue. i was gonna say it, it's definitely showing not telling but it you could make the argument that it might as well just be telling you <laughs> Like yeah, so that that's why I was like, is this his problem with it? Like, does he not like how heavy-handed it is? But that's a minor issue. Okay, point four, uh, the fashion. I feel like oh my god, it's beautiful. <laughs> I feel like the 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 costume design of this. They, I mean, obviously it's Tom Ford. He's a fashion designer. Did he make all of these? Because it's great. It looks great. Yeah, that I couldn't say, but you really get the feeling that like he had strong opinions on the matter and that he knows that a lot of character building can be on what they wear. Sure. Like Nicholas Holt wearing that like fluffy pink sweater. It's just like, that's uh, a woman's believe sweater. Cashmere yes. or that's a something. lady. That's a lady sweater. But, uh, <laughs> but I, don't, I don't even care. Cause he looks so good in it and it looks like a fashion shoot. Like I, I like that. But see, this was also a choice. So Nicholas Holt, when we're introduced to him, you know, he's in the bloom of youth in this movie. And he is a peach ready to be plucked. <laughs> he, I mean, his butt looks like a peach. Spoiler alert, you do see his butt in this movie. Oh, boy. Lots of it. <laughs> so when we're introduced to him, he's got that fluffy, I don't know what, it, I, don't even, I don't think it's actually cashmere. I think it's something else. But he's all in white. He's got white jeans and he's got this white sweater on with like pinkish hues to it. And the way the light hits him, like, because it's such a fluffy sweater, it's glowing, he looks like an angel. Like, he's all in white, and he's literally glowing when the light hits him. And that tells you so much about what this character means inside the story. And that is, like, a showing, not telling thing. Like, you have to be aware of what he's wearing. Yeah. 
in order to get this out of it. You got to see his full body to really appreciate what his character means to George, like the, the protagonist of the story. But we also, you know, when George wakes up and he's like, it takes a while for me to become George, all of it is about his attire and his look, combing his hair, polishing his shoes, freshly starched shirt, perfectly placed tie with clip. Like, it's all about becoming this persona of George. It takes time in the morning for me to become George. Time to adjust to what is expected of George and how he is to behave. By the time I'm dressed, and put the final layer of polish on the now slightly stiff but quite perfect George. I know fully what part I'm supposed to play. I heard a saying, and I don't know if people actually say this or if someone just said it and it sounded like a saying to me, you're never so hot as when you're wearing normal clothes. It was supposed to mean that, like, if you're, you know, a wild person, trying to act straight-laced is very difficult. And George, like, becoming George, I got that saying stuck in my head. Because him playing the part of college professor took work. Yeah. He had to, like, put that persona together and be that. But I also get the impression that it's not that far off from who he is. Because we see him twice relaxed when he's with his partner it's like once on the rocks and he's still wearing a button-up shirt even though his socks are off yeah like and his partner's wearing a tank top and then uh, also that scene where they're on the couch together and same situation he's got a collared button-up it's just unbuttoned twice but it's like that's what you're just casually lounging around in yeah and but I, but it also like there's variations of the button-up because there's like a little while later like when it's when showing him a little bit more you know, uh, footloose, we'll say, and it's unbuttoned a little bit. And, like, you know that, like, you know, he's taken off the necktie, he's unbuttoned the top two buttons, he's ready to have some fun, he's ready to, like, let himself go a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a workable variation of who he really is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the the perfectly starched shirt with the skinny tie placed perfectly with the clip in place, like, and he's, like, looking at himself in the mirror, you know, no hair movement whatsoever. That's just saying like, this is him preparing to like go out into a world of, of normals. I mean, that is definitely one of this movie's strengths is that costume design and production design, just like the sets and everything really do a lot of character building, which I like. I I mean, we talked about this on stage fright where, um, you know, throw a kite in somebody's (laughs) office and suddenly you're like, Two copies of Time Magazine. (laughs) Yeah, I want to know more. Like, I know things about this character based on these things that are strewn about their space. And, uh, you know, same story with George here. Like, he lives in a mid-century modern house in 1969. Gorgeous house, by the way. Yeah, must have been so expensive. And, like, all the furniture. paneling. Like, two-sided fireplace, floor-to-ceiling window. He drives is another example where He's it's got just a, like a uh, Mercedes or BMW. Uh, I think it was Mercedes. Mercedes yeah. yeah, like those kinds of details tell you lots about him without saying a word, and that is, to me, good filmmaking. I will say it does get a little distracting sometimes. The fashion, the production design, and fashion in general. Yeah. Because it almost feels like, 
I don't know. The, the point that I always recognize is when we get to Julianne Moore's house, Charlie, the character's Charlie's house for the first time, and she's got fucking citrus trees in the house. But and first of all, like, that's weird. Then they walk into her living room and there's that crazy horseshoe shaped couch and then she's like can I have a can I have a light and she holds it up and she's got a fucking pink cigarette and it's like okay now we're just gilding the lily at this point it's like you're just you've gone too far but this is I think it's to paint her character as being a little eccentric you know the first time that we see Julianne a Moore a little eccentric the first time we see Julianne Moore is in bed she's called George it's before 8am and she's got that like martini shaker on the nightstand next to her like We've all been there. Like, I ain't judging. But the next scene that we see with her is, like, she's putting on, like, eyeliner while we're just, like, in a bra and panties. And we really don't even see her totally. Like, we see, like, her, like, just her eye and, like, her face in a mirror. Or we see the back of her. And we're already getting this picture that, like, she's, you know, somehow independently wealthy. Like, we don't know much beyond that. But it's, like, what is she doing all day? Like, she's drinking till, like, the wee hours of the night. Working like, basically. on her makeup. And then, yeah, all day she's just, like, you know, putting on eyeshadow and eyeliner. And so we're already getting the idea that this is someone who doesn't have to work for a living. This is someone who maybe operates on a different wavelength or is in some ways a kept woman and so things like the orange trees in her you know walkway or her her hallway there this paints the picture that she's a little eccentric for me it goes beyond eccentric into unrealistic territory Mm. like this isn't just like now can you definitively say that this is a directorial or production choice and not something from the novel. No. Okay. Put a pin in that because we're going to come back to it. I'm, I'm on board with somebody having a citrus tree in their house, but the idea that she She's has like a, a fucking farm. grove <laughs> yeah. in a hallway that leads to the fucking living room that you have to walk through. You have to walk through this thing. And it's not even like well-trimmed, you know? It's like they can't even walk shoulder to shoulder without bumping into fucking orange and lemon trees like that's the point she just likes her mimosas fresh oh i mean that's the point where it starts to be like are we at a fashion shoot or are we making a movie Mm. like i don't really understand that's where i feel like it needed to be reined in a little bit Mm. things like that and like the pink cigarette on top of that those are real things and that's the choice she would make after. But yeah, that rings true. If you got a fucking orange grove in your home, it's not too far removed to have a pink cigarette. Okay, well then at that point, if you are that eccentric, are you even relatable anymore? Like, that's the part that, like, throws me off. I also think that she's not supposed to be totally relatable because she does make that offhand remark about how George and Jim's relationship, you know, wasn't real. And we're not supposed to be totally on her side. Like, I think that's the thing is, like, even George's closest friend doesn't get it or doesn't acknowledge it or still harbors feelings for him, you know, despite the fact that Jim and George were together for 16 years. Don't you ever miss this? What we could have been to each other. Having a real relationship and kids. I had had Jim. No, I mean a real relationship. So let's be honest, what, what you and Jim had together was wonderful, but wasn't it really just a substitute for something else? Yeah, I just wrote that off as she's shitty. Yeah, she's a little shitty. She's but I mean, shitty. she's a lush, she's a divorcee. But then, you know, we see her and she's got that dress, like the white black 
dress. I'm like, and you know, she's a little affluent as well. So, but it's in that scene that we get that, you know, Richard left her after nine years or something like that. She's got a kid who's grown and yeah. she misses someone needing her like underneath all of her eccentricities. She's still just kind of that stereotypical mom, empty nester. Like she wants someone to need her. And I accept that. Like, I mean, despite the ways the production pushes me out of the movie, like I, I'm, I'm still connected to these characters. Like, even though there's directorial choices like the production design and the like color correction stuff that goes on, I'm never checking out of this movie. I'm never like, well, this sucks. Like, mm-hmm. it, it always just sort of like makes me feel like, oh, that was a choice that is very obvious. And that makes me take a step outside for a minute and say, come on, guys. But I'm never emotionally check out of this movie. Like, I'm on board for everything that's going on. Honestly, on paper, like, when I saw the preview for this movie, I was like, this is going to be my new favorite movie. <laughs> like, this looks like everything I want out of a movie. I mean, do you think that you're not liking this movie is just a, a case of uh, raised expectations? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. That okay. is part of it. And watching it for this episode, I was surprised to find that even with my completely lowered expectations, I still felt the same way. Mm. I mean, you did say once, I think this was off pod, that you thought that Nicholas Holt was too cute in this movie. <laughs> I rescind that remark. Okay. <laughs> He's he, just cute he enough. He can be as cute as he wants. Oh, his muscular back. I'm totally happy to look at him in any way mm-hmm. he is. No, but my issues stem from the way this movie makes me feel. Mm-hmm. And like... I know that's subjective and I can't necessarily defend that, but I can see all that positive criticism that people put out about this movie and agree with it and still not like it because to me, this movie is just a big disappointment at the end. All right. I didn't want to jump too far ahead, but let's go ahead and do it. Like, how does the ending make you feel? Disappointed. Okay, why? Dive into that. Because we're set up to believe he's going to kill himself. Yeah. And uh, those expectations are foiled in a wonderful way. Like, we, we feel like, oh, it looks like he's going to live. And, like, he's found all these reasons to stop his depression. He, he's found the strength to move forward, finally. And then he dies anyway. And so it's sort of like oh, well, all those feelings that I felt before are now negated because of that. See, I partially disagree with you. Like, that is sort of the feeling that I had on my first watch. But on repeat watch, what I take out of it is that his depression wasn't cured. It's not like he found the strength over the course of the night to, like, live on with life. Um, PSA, you can't cure depression. It is a manageable thing. You have to constantly work with it. Uh, yeah but he found that way he found like that nugget to continue on and maybe like fight through the depression which like if you've ever been depressed that takes a while to get to see the way that i view it especially on this watch is that he has outlived the world that he knows and wants to be a part of like at the beginning when they're talking about like bomb shelters and things like that. Sure. And 
you know, he says like, Well, if it's going to be a world with no time for sentiment, Grant, then it's not a world I want to live in. This is building a case that he's no longer at home in this world. So killing himself, which is what we're leading up to think that he's going to do for most of the movie, and he actively makes the decision not to. Right. He locks that gun away. Right. Like we are cued in that he's not going to do it. But then he has a heart attack, which is also foreshadowed a couple times in the movie. This allows him to leave this world that he just no longer feels a part of and maybe never will again, despite like this one evening of enjoyment that he had. Like, it's not like he can have a relationship with Nicholas Holt's character. He's a student. It would just be unacceptable for the time and place that they live in. I don't know if I agree with that, but go ahead. And I don't even think George necessarily wants it. Like, he appreciates that Nicholas Holt sort of lusts for him. But I think that George himself doesn't see a future there. Like, I I don't think he wants Nicholas for anything other than his hot little body. Okay. But then that leads me to another argument that I'll bring up in a minute. Because George also turned down, like, a romp with the gigolo. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's my thing. It's like, is he such a fucking sad sack that he can't just realize that fucking hot young men are throwing themselves at him? No. He Fuck f- you, George. He Fuck you. fully realizes it. But, you know, he's reading Aldous Huxley and Kafka. Like, he takes pleasures in the, the nuances of life. And people like Nicholas Holt or the Gigolo, those are sensory overloads for him. Like, that's too much for him to just sit with and enjoy. So he has to kill himself. He doesn't have to kill himself, but he he no longer feels that he has a place in the world. And it had been eight months since Jim, his partner of 16 years, had died, and things hadn't gotten any better for him. And him having a heart attack and dying was a way that he could no longer be in this world because after he has the heart attack we have jim coming and kissing him so it's this idea of uh uh, reuniting uh reunification i know you don't like heaven (laughs) (laughs) but it, it gives this idea of a happy ending this way without him having to compromise his values and killing himself then why do I feel so disappointed that he dies anyway? Because you're a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a complex ending. That's why I say, like, I'm sentimental at the end, but I'm not necessarily sad. I, I guess this is my problem, is that, like, I don't think I like this story. Okay. Like, I can appreciate all the elements of it as a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I can appreciate the, the performances and, you know, the production design and music and blah, 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 blah. But I think in the end, my problem with this movie is I don't like how, I don't like the story. I don't like how it ends. I don't like what it's trying to say. Like, I don't like that answer that you have. And on top of that, I don't think I would like it if he lived. Like, I don't like this position that this character is put in. I don't think I'd be happy either way. If we're looking at a story in like a, a- like pure classic drama sense of like a happy ending is the hero getting what they want. How would the, like, isn't George being reunited with Jim, the hero, like, like the hero getting what he wants because he doesn't want, like he's flattered by Nicholas Holt 
he's flattered by the gigolo, but that's not what he wants. Yeah, but then at that point, I'm like, grow up. Like, get over yourself. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a get over yourself. I think it's just, you know, that's what his heart wants, and he can't help that. That's fine, but that, like, just leads to my same feelings of I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> I mean, the ex died sort of tragically. He got no closure out of it, and the dogs died with it. And so the answer is death. But you gotta remember, like... George doesn't have, like, a chosen family necessarily either. I understand the time period plays a big part. Like, Mm -hmm. it would be difficult in 1969 to find others like you. But he has people throwing themselves at him. But it's not about sex for him. I know that's all you think about, Ryan. (laughs) He's literally has people that are like, I want to be your companion. And he's like, no. For a night or two or something. But, like, that's what sparks, like, moving forward, you mm-hmm. know? Like, sometimes you just have to fucking sleep with somebody to get over that, like, N- Nothing sadness. cures old heartache like new love. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, lovers are like buses. Another one's going to come along to quote He's got to wait a little while. Yeah. My mother says that lovers are like buses. You just have to wait a little while and another one comes along. That's what's frustrating to me is, like, he's so Arthurian, you know, where it's just, like, this courtly idea of love that he has for this one guy and i get it they had a very special relationship 16 years in like the 50s and 60s that must have felt like i found the only person like me that i will ever find especially cute little matthew good i mean he's great don't get me wrong but it's like when you have these hot guys like throwing themselves at you even though one of them's a prostitute who seemed like he didn't care about the money he's like well i'll still fuck you either way it's like wake up and you would have preferred to, if you banged both of them and then killed himself. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. At least he tried. <laughs> that would have been the Ryan Whedon cut. Yeah. Because it's like... You would have taken the Kubrick shining approach to this. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to change this and change this and change this. At least then... Get it... rid of these orange trees. <laughs> At least then it showed that he, you know, was embracing because he mentions he's like oh there's these moments of fleeting clarity and they're like my bridges blah 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 those moments are the ones that are in like saturated color and it's like he's consciously choosing not to focus on those even though all day long he's being presented by like his cool secretary who looks beautiful all the time and smells like pears he's got that cute dog in that car that one time that smells like buttered toast he's got that uh his the neighbor girl who has a scorpion in a jar for some fucking reason like all those moments are like wow life is worth living but instead he's like oh my boyfriend's dead 16 years man six like that, that'd be tough, like, in a time and place where you already feel isolated, and you're essentially married, like, you know, if they could have gotten married, I'm sure they would have. They got their dog kids, and they spend their Saturdays listening to jazz and reading Metamorphosis and, you know, Jim reading Breakfast at Tiffany's. I do just, I do love that record scene. That's a great scene. You really just live in the moment. It's like now. What could be better than being tucked up here with you? I mean, if I died right now, it'd be okay. Like, to have that ripped away, and I I didn't look this up, I think the man who called him 
I think it was John Hamm's voice. It was. Okay, yeah. it was. Okay. I, did look that I up, didn't yeah. look that up. But to like you're not even invited to the funeral. Like you don't even get that sense of closure like and you have to keep your composure on the phone. I can't even imagine that sort of pain. I'm afraid I'm calling this some bad news. Huh? There has been a car accident. Accident? There's been a lot of snow here lately and the roads have been icy. On his way into town, Jim lost control of his car. It was instantaneous, apparently. Huh. It happened late yesterday, but his parents didn't want to call you. I see. I don't know. I just feel like eight months wouldn't be enough time to recover from that. Like, thinking about the isolation that he must have felt... Like, the loneliness and, like, the companionship in finding Jim and then just their companionship for 16 years to have it, like, even he answers the phone, it's almost like a tawdry way to answer the phone. And to have that, like, ripped away all in, like, a freak accident, I understand that hurt. Like, eight months doesn't seem, like, long enough to get over it. Like, I almost feel like... And it would be hard. It's not like you could go to a therapist. Like, you know, depending on the laws of the time, like you might be labeled a sex offender or something. Sure. I'm not asking him to get over it. I'm asking him to not kill himself. I sympathize with it, though. It's like if you no longer understand or sympathize the world around you, like I'm not saying that it's a good idea, but. It's like, you know, he's lived his life and it took him all that time to find Jim and now Jim's gone. Didn't seem that hard to find Jim. He literally had to be like, huh? oh, great. I guess we're <laughs> like he looked over. They made eye contact and Jim walked over and was like, hey, you gay? <laughs> I know it's not as romantic as meeting in a bathhouse, <laughs> but, you know, options were limited back then. That's the thing is like my problem isn't with the movie i've realized watching this time around like the movie itself is good my problem is with the story mm-hmm. like i don't like this story i don't like how it makes me feel like i can watch this and i know how i'm supposed to feel but if i look inside and see how i actually feel i don't feel that way they don't align and so to me that makes Something. You're broken. Yeah. <laughs> Your emotions aren't right. <laughs> Something's not successful here, and uh, since I'm such a fucking solipsist, the movie is bad, <laughs> not me. <laughs> I don't know. This time around, it did not sway any feelings I had before. I still felt the same way I did after watching it the first time, which is mostly disappointed and empty, even though I enjoyed so many elements from this movie. Like, it's obviously visually made with so much care and like the music is good i teared up even at one moment like when he and nicholas holt go skinny dipping in the ocean like that is such a great movie moment like i i love it and it tears i'm tearing up thinking about it right now like because it's just magical and you're finally like he's figured it out um and then that moment gets robbed when he dies anyway like i don't know that's the part of the story that i just i don't like it doesn't make sense to me. See, I feel like if he had lived, that wouldn't make any sense. No, but I wouldn't be happy that way either. That's my that's my other... This movie just doesn't... 
there's no possible good ending. No, here. and unless you do some fundamental changes, the story just doesn't end happy for me either way. Because if it did end it with him, like you know, being happy, or or just before he dies, even like if he just woke up and it's like life goes on, I'd be happier with it. But then I'd be like, well, that's kind of like a cop out too. I'm just not, I don't like this story. It doesn't ring true to me. See, I feel like because he had the, he, he, I don't want to say he died doing what he loved, you know, <laughs> covering up young boys in blankets, <laughs> but it does allow the protagonist to get what they want, which is ultimately to be reunited with their love without having to compromise their own values. And he died while happy. He has this moment of joy, like, before the heart attack hits him, he does have a smile on his face. Yeah, and that's a reference to the couch scene, too, where it's like, if I died right now, I would be totally happy. And, like, I get all that. (laughs) And it doesn't make me feel happy. I mean, it's not supposed to make you feel happy. Or satisfied, But it's supposed to be a bittersweet ending. I just, I don't know. It's supposed to be a salty caramel ending. (laughs) That's why I hate it. Like I said before, I recognize all the good things about this movie. I still feel like very subjectively i just don't like it i don't like the story i mean you're wrong but (laughs) it's fine don't worry about it well ryan what do we got coming up next week i got a movie for you that was actually in the Pass the buck game that you did not choose. Oh, cool, cool. I think I'm, I'm ready to do I've this I've been really one. curious about what you've had in there. Yeah, so this is one that was in that selection, and uh, I was actually, this was maybe my first choice because I haven't seen this movie in a long time, and I really wanted to revisit it, and I think it might be a good podcast movie. Don't know. This could go totally wrong, but uh, I want to watch the movie Dead Calm. Billy Zane, Nicole Kidman, yes. Sam Neill. Yes. Okay, yeah. When was the last time you watched it? <sighs> 10 years ago okay yeah roughly me too like 10 12 but this is an early nicole kidman she still has her australian accent i think yeah sam neil's Samuel, Austral- yeah, australian yeah it's too, an australian right? movie okay so, yeah and uh i just remember it being really good uh good performances you mentioning billy zane in the back to the future episode a couple weeks ago uh really made me thinking about this movie uh and i've been wanting to do it for a while this was one that i actually had on my list for erotic thrillers oh didn't make the cut so this is what I do. I pepper them in. I pepper, boom, ba-doom. We did Above the Law last season. Now we're doing some erotic thrillers this time. <laughs> I, like to, I like to pepper in genre flicks here and there. Yeah. Uh, but no, I remember liking it. So we'll see I if do, it holds I up. I do too. Uh, we'll see, we'll, I think this is good that we both haven't seen in a good 10 years. Should we plug our junk? Get the fuck out of here? I think that's a great idea. Follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. We love it when you at us too. I know that like lots of people don't want to be added, but we want to be added. Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. We like follows, we like likes, we like comments there. Send us emails, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Our email cavity is uh, prone and willing. <laughs> it may be a unique shape, but it is not that hard to fill. 
and go to our website, xratedmovies.com. EX, in case we have not explained it or you haven't gotten the joke yet. It's got literally everything we've ever done. And, you know, while you're there, flop on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Audio, Overcast, Google, Google Play. Play, wherever you're listening to this, and give us a little love because that helps spread the word about this podcast and we want to spread it like peanut butter on toast. Mm. Be here next week for a dead calm. And until then, keep reaching for that rainbow. <laughs> <laughs>